Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome again to the Brand Matters Podcast. This is episode three. Thanks again for tuning in. We just launched the show in China this week, so I guess we can say we're an international podcast now. But uh, but no, really, we're always thankful for all our listeners around the world. Today, I wanted to go through a couple brand stories. In the first segment, we'll look at Tesla and Netflix. And then um, on the second half, we'll talk about live broadcasting and some tips on jumping into to live broadcasting and live streaming, whether you're doing that um, personally or for your company. Okay, jumping into segment one, we have this CNBC story that I've linked in the blog talk radio description, and it's billionaire Elon Musk responds to unhappy Tesla customer on a Friday night, teaching a brilliant lesson in customer service. And I saw this article uh, making the rounds. We had a customer who went into the Tesla Stanford shop, and he said he had a terrible experience with a very pushy sales guy while shopping for the Model X. And it's amazing, you know, Elon Musk responded and he said, Definitely not okay. Just sent a reminder to Tesla stores that we just want people to look forward to their next visit. That's what really matters. And the truth is, we can't have every brand's CEO out there answering customer support responses on social media. That's that's not their job. But I think this shows an opportunity for for a brand moment that can be exceptional and can really reflect your company's values. And I, I want to point out a few things that Elon did. One thing is he started with empathy. And I think that's so important to remember. Uh, I've talked about this before, but your your company just needs to remember to put yourself in the position of the customer, of the user, and express really strong empathy there. So so he just acknowledges this is not okay. The way you're treated, you know, I feel I feel that, and I and I acknowledge it. The second thing is overall accessibility. I think the fact that Elon is such a such a voice on Twitter and people feel like they can respond to him. And, you know, people tweeting at Elon has gotten new features built into Tesla. It's solved bugs. In this case, it's got a retail wide company reminder about uh, sales policy and and um, sales tactics. So this is a case where the brand is wanting to reflect to the market how how much they listen to feedback. And that starts from the top down. And, uh, you know, I've heard complaints about some of the um, entry-level customer service experiences, but the truth is, you know that you always have an option to break through and, and get, to the, get to the boss. And so um, I think as, as we think about building brands, we have to engage with our executives and help them to think about how to interface with the public, um, how we can help them to, to regularly hear public feedback, and often to respond. Elon had another um, internal memo that was recently published, and I'll share the link as well. But you know, it was a memo that talked about Tesla teams working together and not wanting to create too much vertical structure and making people talk to their bosses to talk to other bosses to go back down. He wanted Tesla employees to remember that what's best for the company is what they should be pursuing. And if that means 
you know, different levels and different teams are working together to solve problems, then then he wanted to, people to know that they could do that, including going straight to Elon if they, they have a problem that needs escalation. Based on Tesla's internal memos, we're seeing this kind of accessibility models at, within the corporate structure, and that also applies externally as, as the company faces outside. I'm sorry to keep mentioning Apple as an example, but you know, Apple CEO Steve Jobs, or um, late Apple CEO, as well as uh, the current Apple CEO Tim Cook, have famously responded to emails. You can, uh, they don't respond to every email, but there are enough stories coming through where people will email and say, hey, you know, I, I bought this thing and it's broken, and they send an email out and it gets, a, it gets a response. So that's a case where, again, your accessibility is really important to your brand. But again, you have to find a way to fit that brand value into the demands and requirements of your executives. You know, at Cheetah, we had an experience recently where our CEO was riding in an Uber on a business trip in Las Vegas and uh, was, was talking with his driver. And the driver actually happened to be a, a live me broadcaster. And so when she found out that, you know, that she was asking him, you know, what apps his company made and and um, it came up that he helped to start live me and and she's really excited because she's a passionate user of the app and uh, it later turned out that um, she was struggling with um, an illness and our CEO got involved in activating our our teams to help raise more attention on how we can help her and raise some money for for her medical bills so this is a case where I was proud of our CEO, Fushang, for number one, showing that empathy to recognize this driver's problems, and two, being accessible by, by listening to customers and users out in public, and then three, taking action. Uh, so, so not just hearing and walking away, but, but being moved by that conversation and wanting to, to use the company's resources to help someone. So that's the first Tesla story I wanted to cover, just taking a quick look at the importance of having your executives be empathetic and accessible to the public in order to to build a brand that, that really has these amazing connections with customers. It's been absolutely tragic to see the destruction left by these hurricanes, and I hope help gets to the survivor fast. You know, the, uh, the sign he or she made was a, was a cry for help. But I am inspired to see that he still has a sense of humor, even in um, even in these uh, circumstances. And and again, this is a case where a brand has brought hope to people in a way that where they're re- referring to, they're kind of calling out to this brand for help. And so, I think it's a very fine line to walk when we think about having empathy. One of the first questions to ask is. We don't want brands to just insert themselves into moments to be, um, to profit from them or to, to be opportunistic. So this isn't a chance for you know Tesla to show off its power wall and, and say, well, if you had had solar and you had had batteries stored, you could have still had power. But I do think this is an example where a brand has become extremely meaningful out in public and customers are even using it as a cry for help, as a joke. They're 
they're spreading that brand story out in the world. Certainly, I hope we can all aspire as as we build brands to to having one that people think of when they when they need help, and we have an opportunity to build something great that can meet people in those times of need. And also, I hope our brands can bring some delight into the world, even in times of darkness. Our thoughts and prayers go out to those affected by the hurricanes, and hopefully they get power restored quickly, whether that's through sending Tesla or through a grid. So those are two stories from Tesla that I saw this week that just reminded me the importance of of building a brand. Tesla is particularly interesting as a brand because it's so disruptive. We'll see how things go with the Model 3, whether it can bring electric vehicles into the mainstream. At least for a community of of fans, Tesla has inspired a desire to have a positive impact on uh, the environment without sacrificing design or amenities. I've been reading the Tesla subreddit a lot, and it's really quite remarkable I've been reading the the Tesla subreddit a lot, and it's it's just amazing to see the passion that these fans have and that the brand has inspired. You know, I think five hundred thousand people putting a thousand dollars down on on this car that who knows when they'll see. It's a it's a huge showing of support. You know, when I I put down a reservation, I convinced uh, my family to 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 get on board with one. And the way I looked at it is, I'm not sure if I'm going to buy a Model 3. It might not work for my family in in the next year or two. Uh, I'm not even sure if I'll need a car here in New York. But even just putting that $1,000 down and, and setting aside that cash to be able to say, hey, I'm hoping to get a Tesla and I'm, I'm working toward it. It's amazing how Tesla as a brand has created this connection where instead of investing my money, I could have bought... Bitcoin, or I could have, you know, put it in a savings account or bought, I guess, Tesla stock with it or something. I'm, I'm choosing to participate in this pre-order process because the story that Tesla has told has connected with me and I want to be part of it. The other story I wanted to talk about in this first segment, it comes from DNA Info. And a bar in Chicago had a Stranger Things pop-up where they took this, uh, I'm not sure if you watched the Netflix show, it's it's a pretty good show, it's a original set in the 80s about kind of like a science fiction, E.T. and Goonies kind of world. So this bar had recreated the set with the full with the Christmas lights on the wall and the couch and even the, the hut that one of the children had hidden in. And they'd made these custom cocktails, um, Ego waffles are part of the story, so they put some syrup in a cocktail to make it reference um, the, the show and uh, you know this is just something that fans had done to connect with other customers about um, how much they love this show and Netflix of course got involved and had to send a cease and desist letter but they sent the quirkiest and most fun cease and desist letter that I've ever seen which is not saying that much but actually I think it reflects a conversation that had to be had between legal and you had to think about from a PR perspective what this is going to do and then you know think about what this is going to do on social and how it fits with your your brand campaigns and and it's really an amazing letter they wrote the letter in the um in the voice of the show and so it you know talks about starts by saying my walkie-talkie is busted so i had to write this note instead 
I don't want you to think I'm a total wasteoid, but I, and I love how much you guys love the show. And then another line is, but unless I'm living in the upside down, which is, you know, this, um, this world in Stranger Things. And I think this is, again, a, a letter that, similar to um, that first point I made about Tesla, it has some empathy to it. It acknowledges the humanity of the people who, who made this pop-up bar. It doesn't come in and say, hey, you, you know, I'm going to sue you if you don't shut it down right away. It says, look, um, you know, I, please don't keep the pop-up running after your original um, six-week run and um, ask us for permission if you plan to do something like this again. So it leaves the, it leaves the option open to work together without just throwing your legal weight. But it still gets the point across, which is um, it's important to Netflix to have a say in how its fans encounter the world that it builds. And that, that's to quote. Um, so, so I think it, it's fun. It's, it's cute. The, the last line is, you know, we love our fans more than anything, but you should know that the Demogorgon, this monster, is not always as forgiving. So please don't make us call your mom. So it, it kind of makes light of the threats um, and, and keeps them within the world, which I think if you're a fan enough to make a Stranger Things pop-up bar, hopefully you um, this is something that that takes a possibly negative moment for your brand or a negative moment for your company and turns it into a positive. And, and you know, if I got this letter, sure, I'd be disappointed that I had to shut down the bar. I would have loved to maybe work with Netflix to show you know, show the screening there or some the the premiere, but but I think it still is this moment where it has has some empathy, has some joy, some delight to it, and uh, and of course, you know what happens next is that the story goes viral and the letter gets shared online. It goes makes it rounds through social media and through um, sites like DNA Info, and it takes this case that could have been unfortunate for for netflix where shutting down this pop-up bar elicited a lot of negative responses online for people who felt like the corporation was put pushing around the little guy and it made it more human and and it made it more fun so i know it's it's tough um if you're on the brand side and you want to work with your legal team on a a letter like this um it's not going to be easy because you know it's legal's job to cover your rear end it's it you know legal's not taking a lot of creative risks uh, on any given day and i understand that because we all need to do our jobs we need to do what we're tasked with and in this case it's the legal protection of netflix's intellectual property and also it's the company at large i would love to see more creative risks from other teams that are interfacing with the public whether it's your social media team responding um whether it's your customer support team, um, you know, marketing and PR, we all engage with the public in different ways and we have opportunities. And again, just like the Tesla story, even your CEO has an opportunity to engage in a positive way. So yeah, it's funny to be covering a, a cease and desist letter on a, on a branding podcast, but, but that's where we are. Uh, congratulations to Netflix for uh, thinking outside the box and, and taking a bit of a risk there and it really seems to have paid off in, in creating some 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 positive momentum for for Stranger Things and you know season two is coming out uh, around Halloween so you can look forward to that 
And for the record, I would love to see more Stranger Things bars pop up. I think it'd be fun to experience. Um, so, so hopefully, even though the lawyers got involved here, there another owner can can work out something with uh, with Netflix to, to create create these experiences out in the world. Okay, let's move on to segment two. I'd like to take a look at an article from one of my colleagues, Kudor, who's our head of marketing and partnerships at LiveMe. And uh, this was in Adweek Social Pro Daily. Again, you can find the, the link below in um, the blog talk description. Three practical tips for live broadcasting you need to know right now. So uh, live streaming, live broadcasting becoming quite popular. We're seeing more and more young people engage with this format. According to eMarketer, almost 50% of millennials have created a live social media video, whether that's you know Instagram, Periscope, Facebook, um, LiveMe, Lively, any of those. And more than 50% have watched one. So we're about almost half for creation, content creation and over half for content consumption. And that's quite remarkable. It's a it's a big jump considering live video has only been around realistically for a, for a few years. So what are the three tips from Kudor? The first is when you start a broadcast, don't wait for fans to join. Being on camera live is tough. I'm grateful for this podcast that I can record it. When I make a make a mistake, I can always kind of restart the the take or edit things out. Um, but when you're when you're live, um, it's go time, and those first few moments of starting a broadcast are difficult. You're not clear whether you're talking to anybody, you're waiting for people to join. So how do you handle that? Well, according to Kudor, the best way is actually to plan for the beginning of your broadcast to speak to people watching the replay. So you know that the first minute people may be jumping in later to to catch up with your broadcast and that's just a great opportunity to start and say, you know, thanks for tuning in. Hit the um, subscribe button if you'd like to subs- to follow me when I do more live broadcasts. So glad to have you. And um, you know, here's my schedule, and here's what I normally do in my broadcast. So, so just do a quick intro while you're allowing for the the live stream to to propagate. And I, and I think that's really good advice. It and it and it applies, I think, on a bigger level as anything we do is is remembering sometimes it's awkward when we start something we're not sure who's paying attention and we can have a plan for what doing what we do when we start in a way that still makes use of the time so if you're leading a meeting or you're hosting an event it helps to think about how do you start in a way that respects the people who are there and also plans for later if it's going to be recorded or if um, you know people are going to spread the word so so again that's a that's a great tip don't wait for fans to join before you start broadcasting your your message and I, and I think one thing to remember is at live me we make a distinction between live broadcasting and live streaming because we think that broadcasting is very active and streaming tends to be more passive. So I think when live streaming first came out, for instance, with Periscope and Meerkat, the idea was 
you were just streaming video of the world around you. And so if I was at a concert, I would just live stream the concert. If I was, you know, at a rally and I wanted to show what people were doing on the street, I would just start start streaming. But for us, live broadcasting is more about hosting a broadcast, hosting a show, and you know, turning the often turning the camera toward you so that you're on screen and you're able to engage with your fans and your your viewers. And so that's something to remember is there's a lot of work that goes into planning a show. It's like you know, you're anchoring CNN or or something, but you're doing that you know from your room or from wherever you're out at, and um, rather than just waiting for people to show up, I think we need to engage right away. The second tip that Kudor had for, uh, for live broadcasters is to plan your live broadcast in bite-sized segments. It's good to broadcast for a, a long period of time. The longer you go, the more momentum you can get to have viewers jump in and jump out and, and see what, what you're like. But you know, if you're planning on an hour or two hours of a stream, you don't have to be overwhelmed by, okay, I need to do the same thing for two hours. You can actually break it up into, you know, a few minutes at a time and, and think, okay, I'm going to start with this segment. And then next we're going to do, I can do some jokes or I can do a song. I can take some questions. We can do a challenge. There's all sorts of content that you can create for your broadcast. So I'd encourage you to take your broadcast and break it up into manageable segments because that'll give you milestones within your broadcast to um, to engage with your, your audience. The last tip that Kudor had for, for live broadcasting was to give each of your broadcasts a finale. And he compared it to you know a fireworks show where you really need to have something at the end and um, building up your momentum as a broadcaster so that you're saving your best for last. You have that one more thing, you know, as Steve Jobs would do. And, uh, and hopefully that gives you really good energy so that people are coming back and they're anticipating what they're watching and they're looking forward to, to the rest of your broadcast. And again, I think this doesn't just apply to live broadcasting, but really to how we spend our time. We want to surprise and delight our viewers and our audiences and the people we work with. And so uh, making sure that we have something really interesting and engaging for them, even at the end of a broadcast, uh, rewards them, incentivize them for sticking through to the end. So that's it. We have three practical tips for live broadcasting. One, don't wait for fans to join before starting your segment. Two, plan your live broadcast in bite-sized segments. And three, give each of your broadcasts a finale. So I'm not sure how many of you have so I'm not sure how many of you have gotten into live broadcasting yet, but it's becoming more and more popular. We're seeing a lot of great momentum on LiveMe, and so we hope that as you dip your toes in the water, you can think about how to do it in a way that's um, authentic and engaging and manageable. Looking ahead to next week, I'm joining New York Media Fest's Digital Music Forum for the Fans Take Center stage panel on the 26th. So I'm looking forward to taking some of the insights shared on that panel, and we'll uh, go over them in the, in the podcast. Thanks again for listening. This has been the Brand Matters Podcast, Episode 3. I'm your host, Josh Ong, and this show has been produced by Sebastian Liu. Thank you.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.